Get yourself a piece of the American pie. Invest in U.S. stocks, easy. I think scratching around in small caps is really hard because it's difficult to have an edge from South Africa. I mean, we just don't know those companies at all. We don't even understand the market dynamics. It's really difficult. Small caps are, I think, for your home market where you are most likely to understand what that company's actually doing and what the on the ground looks like. So when I think of my USD stuff, I'm not really looking for the stocks that might 10x my money over a short space of time, long term, sure. But it's, you know, you're buying the biggest brands in the whole world. You're literally buying the companies that every single person knows. And even then, there are pricing dislocations, there are opportunities. Often these companies are not trading where they should be. So you don't have to go and scratch around the small caps to still do well out of the sort of US market. And you know, the other point I would just throw in is you've really got to do your research. Welcome to Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. <laughs> My name is DJ At Large and thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast, your cool guide to investing. So today we're doing things a little different because we have a serious fight on our hands. Let me ring the bell and ask a very, very important question. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> So I have two of my faves who will be going head to head with their US stock picks for the rest of 2022 as they give us the ins and outs of investing in uh, the US, right? So when we talk about USD investing. So on my virtual right, things get a little spooky and paranormal as we have the one, the only, the finance ghost. While on my virtual left, we have a man who knows everything there is to know about money. On his birth certificate, he goes by the name of Muhammad Nala, but he's better known to us as Mo Knows, the team behind the Magic Markets podcast, you know, who we have a couple of minutes with to spar, you know, a little bit of some virtual blows here and there. They'll be going head to head with their US stock picks. Mo and the Finance Ghost, welcome back to the Easy Does It podcast, gents. Shot for having us. This is such a pleasure. Looking forward to this, DJ at large. So before we get into round one and uh, a couple of uppercuts and jabs are thrown, I've got a random money question for you, gents. I'd like to know from you guys, right? Which Wall Street movie or TV series is your all-time favorite? So we're going to start with Mo. All of them. My wife hates me. She hates me. It's all, all of them. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steer away from the cliche Wall Street, you know, greed is good. Gordon Gecko. I, I would say, yeah, for me, I think maybe Boiler Room, right? It's uh, it's a bit of a left field answer there. I enjoyed Boiler Room. It's a nice mix of kind of Wall Street, a bit of fun, uh, and also shows you how sometimes the little guy gets trapped uh, amongst the sharks. So that's that's for me. It's Boiler Room. Oh, that's a good one. That's I wanted good. to say Wolf of Wall Street, but he was so scared his missus is going to listen to this podcast <laughs> and going to explain it afterwards. Since we're on that finance ghost, what's what's your all-time fave? I'm not shy to say I enjoyed a bit of Wolf of Wall Street, but to be honest with you, actually, my favorite ever business show, honestly, was Dragon's Den. And I remember discovering it when I was studying for my board exam because I love startups. I mean, as much as I love the markets, I also really love entrepreneurship, startups, building something. I mean, listed companies are just really big versions of that, right? They are what happens when things go well. So I've always had a serious soft spot for something like Dragon's Den. 
So uh, that's my actual left field answer, not like Mo's, which wasn't as left field as he's <laughs> trying to put forward here. Jeez, those jabs are coming fast already. Because <laughs> I gave you all my great stock picks. So now I have to win this round because I know you're going to win every stock pick because we did not know that this was actually uh, sort of me versus Mo. We just thought this was, oh, we each think of four stocks we like. So anyway, I'm, I'm just trying to win early so I can lose later on. It's hard to punch at a ghost, you know. God can't land the punch. <laughs> Hey, hey. So I'm, I'm very curious to know, um, how did you guys meet and how did the Magic Markets podcast come about? Let me tell you about Mo when I met Mo. I'm going to answer this question, Mo. Sorry. Mo is like the GQ best dressed man, classic sort of Sanson hustler, suit and tie. The Wolf of Maud Street, right? You were, you were the, the Wolf of Maud Street, literally. I mean, that's an inside joke we have. And uh, I mean, at the time I was working at Ned Banks, I'm giving away a little bit of my ghostliness here, but Mo and I met uh, while he was there. And uh, I used to fetch Mo coffee occasionally uh, when it wasn't Ramadan. And I used to learn from him. I was very much uh, very, very junior to Mo um, in those days. And yeah, I think that's how we met. And we uh, obviously formed a, a fun relationship while you know we were working there. And then, Mo, I think you should tell a bit about how I found you uh, in Canada all those years later. Yeah, all, all those years later, uh, instead of being dressed in a, a nice swanky suit, I was dressed in a hoodie. It was very cold. I think it was actually around Halloween time. So that's quite apt, right, Ghost? Uh, it was around then. We, we just had a, a, a catch-up call. You know, we said, ah, oh, jeez, let's have a catch-up call. It was supposed to be an hour. It ended up being something like three and a half hours. And eventually, my wife's like, just, who, who are you talking to for so long? And that catch-up call ended up being a fantastic brainstorming session. We, we had a great chat. Uh, and we decided to start Magic Markets really as kind of a, a pet project. You know, like this indie project that started out as a nice on-the-side kind of podcast hustle. And uh, yeah, I think it's grown from strength to strength from there. So it's actually been fantastic to kind of reconnect with the ghost after all of those years. Uh, and I mean, we've got all of those scars to show over the course of the last couple of years. I think we've both grown up in very different ways through the markets. Uh, and I think we take that and we bring that into the magic markets flavor. And that's what makes it so compelling, I think, to people that follow us, people that subscribe to our, our service. I remember on that London call, I think you, you sent me something to look at. I distinctly recall this. And it came up on my other screen. And then I remember looking at my other screen. You know, it's obvious when you're doing that, when you're on a call. And Mo just said, you know, you just can't get rid of the, you can't get rid of the banking. You have to have two screens, even at home. So, I mean, it goes back to our days on the trading floor when I think it was at least three screens, Mo, and a nice fancy Bloomberg terminal and all the other treats. Depends on how senior you were, right? So, so three screens, four screens, six screens, uh, you know, markets, <laughs> markets are big. Mo, Mo had like 10 screens and I had one, basically, is what he's trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for just sharing like where this began and where it is now, which is such an amazing place. So, you know, the purpose of this episode is to give our listeners the ins and outs of usd investing you know as the two of you guys go head to head in terms of just picking some stocks that you like uh, but before we get into round one i think it's quite important to touch on the things that our listeners should keep in mind when they want to invest in the u.s stock market what are some of some general things that they should have at the at the back of their minds i think first and foremost investors need to realize that this is a long-term game you know, don't, don't do this as kind of the YOLO, do it on the side, you know, just kind of passing, check your phone every five minutes. If, if you're going to do this, you know, do it properly. You know, otherwise you're going to pay a lot more school fees than maybe you should. So I would start off with it, it's a long-term game. I would also then couple that with it's a learning curve. And initially, if, you're, if you don't come from a finance background, it's a very steep learning curve. Uh, but I want to also emphasize that you don't have to come from a finance background. Some of the best traders I knew 
actually were, were teachers. They were qualified as teachers and then became phenomenal traders. So I think keep that in mind that it's a steep learning curve, but it's not beyond anyone to come to grasp with what investing, what trading actually means. And lastly, is that it never sleeps, right? So you constantly, once you get into this, depending on how serious you want to get, you've got to be on top of things because, you know, it, it's something that keeps on going. So it's a bit of a treadmill and you either have the passion for it or you don't. But I mean, we certainly do. And I think, you know, those would be my key starting or foundational points for anyone interested in looking at, at markets in general or US markets specifically as well. Yeah, so I think from my side, uh, so Mo lives in Canada now, for those who don't know. So the cool thing about the Magic Markets podcast is we get to leverage off the fact that he lives there, whereas I'm still here in, well, in Cape Town these days. And, you know, from my side, when I think about my own investments in the US, I think scratching around in small caps is really hard because it's difficult to have an edge from South Africa. I mean, we just don't know those companies at all. We don't even understand the market dynamics it's really difficult. Small caps are, I think, for your home market where you are most likely to understand what that company's actually doing and what the on the ground looks like. So when I think of my USD stuff, I'm not really looking for the stocks that might 10x my money over a short space of time, long term, sure. But it's, you know, you're buying the biggest brands in the whole world. You're literally buying the companies that every single person knows. And even then, there are pricing dislocations, there are opportunities. Often these companies are not trading where they should be. So you don't have to go and scratch around the small caps to still do well out of the sort of US market. And you know the other point I would just throw in is you've really got to do your research, specifically as a South African, because you don't have the benefit of local intuition. You know, if you just see lots of Checkers 6060 scooters on the road, you know Checkers is doing well. That's easy, right? We don't ha you don't have that with with uh, American companies because you're not there. So local intuition is not something you have. And that means you need to do even more research than you would otherwise possibly do. Yeah, I see more also, also nodding. You agreeing with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's what makes magic markets magic, right? Is that my being located up here in North America certainly helps a lot because, for example, we've covered stocks or brands that South Africans are not familiar with, but that are really powerful businesses. And so to have that kind of perspective, I think brings that South African flavor, but to a global perspective, that's what we really aim to do in, in, in Magic Markets Premium. I think sometimes we'll see a tweet about this US stock and then we run with it, but we have no idea what we're investing in. So you guys have touched on some very, very important things. And I think that that's a nice segue into, you know, us getting into round one. So you've got to ring that bell. You know, each, each of them will share a US stock. Uh, they'll tell us what the stock is, a brief on the company, uh, the industry it operates in and why they've selected this particular stock it's a little bit of some education for me for the rest of the listeners and for them to show off why they're so amazing so uh, who, who wants to go first for round one who's who's keen who's brave to throw the first uppercut well, I mean, well, we've thrown some uppercuts before virtually. Hey? You can't start a business in the, in a, over a pandemic when you both have kids with high stress and then not occasionally fantasize about each other's death. But we've come through in one piece, so it's okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him go first. Boomer's first. <laughs> Boomer's first. I'll kick off, right? So I'll, I'll go with something that maybe some people might consider as a, as a boomer stock, something slightly more boring. Uh, and that stock's Microsoft. Now, you know, it's a bit of a cheat, and I'll tell you why it's a bit of a cheat, in that I don't really have to explain that much about Microsoft. I think if you don't know what Microsoft does, you're living under a, a rock. Uh, Microsoft really is, is the behemoth in terms of software. And more importantly, you know, some of the themes that we picked up, and, and we've covered the stock in, in Magic Markets Premium as well, but some of the themes that we picked up is that Microsoft has transitioned from being 
a company that sells you the CD or the DVD that has Windows on it, for example, to a proper software as a service business, right? Uh, they've transitioned a lot of their products into a subscription-based model. Uh, and this has helped them on so many fronts. But the reason why Microsoft is so exciting right now, you know, in terms of why is it relevant in 2022, is that it's still a power business. It's a business that's moved beyond Microsoft Windows. It's a business that's moved beyond Microsoft Office. If you really look at Microsoft, it's become a key player in the cloud. So for example, it's Azure platform, for example, is very, very powerful. And when you look at what Microsoft effectively does, we call the episode the world's computer, but it's literally the bones or the skeleton on which a lot of digital infrastructure relies. And you don't realize what the, you know the power of Microsoft behind the scenes. Now, if you look at the business, if you unpack it, it's a business that is phenomenal in that it has exceptionally high gross and operating margins. It has a significant moat. It is so powerful in that you know when it comes up against competitors in the past, it basically just acquired them. That got it into a lot of trouble. You know, the the entire antitrust focus of the 90s came through with Microsoft. And that yielded a very different Microsoft that now almost operates as a number two player in so many of its industries. But we almost think that that's strategic because if you look at the cloud, for example, you know, there's Microsoft Azure, but there's Amazon Web Services that's that's above that, right? And we almost think it's strategic in that it allows Microsoft to operate below the radar. Think about it. It's not part of the FANG, you know, FANG doesn't have an M in it. But Microsoft is this really powerful company, generates significant returns, and then it's down 14% year to date. And the reason for that is tech stocks have all been thrown out. And when they do that, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Microsoft is still a company of significance. It's a quality company. It generates significant profits. And I think given the sell down that we've seen, you know, I have this in the portfolio. I've been adding this in the portfolio as well. And I see this as one of my core longs that I like to take because I'd like to move the portfolio a little bit more defensively. This for me is a nice way to be defensive, but also own a stock that generates significant returns. Ooh, well, you came out throwing all types of punches. Uh, I see even the finance ghost, he's shaking his head. Just waiting for the bell to ring and just stop this guy from telling us all about Microsoft, which company I love as well, I must be honest. So you you also a fan of, of Microsoft, but I'm keen to hear uh, what what you've chosen, uh, Ghost. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Microsoft. That's why I say if I'd known this was a head-to-head, -head, I would have fought harder with Mo about who was going to talk uh, <laughs> about Microsoft. But it's okay. I've got a strong contender myself. It's fine. Uh, so mine is Ford which uh, people think is a rubbish company. And for years, it really was. They lost a lot of money internationally. They had a pretty dicey product range. They didn't really know what they were doing. Um, I hate using the pun that they weren't focused, but they weren't. So the reality is that Ford had to sort out its business in a big way. And the pandemic kind of forced them to do it. It just brought everything to a head. There was just no more time for messing around with unprofitable products in silly regions and the balance sheet that was looking, you know, very risky into the pandemic. And the Ford share price literally just fell apart um, in those initial lockdowns. And that's when I bought. So I'm up fantastically, which is great. Uh, could have gone very differently, obviously. But this is sort of, you know, a here and now, what state is Ford in now question. And it's actually got a great electric vehicle strategy. And this is something I tweet about and I've written about many times is that Tesla does not operate in a competitive vacuum. All of these car manufacturers have EV strategies. They have strong brands that have been around since long before Elon Musk was even a twinkle in either of his parents' eyes. So you can't just pretend that these things are gonna disappear overnight because they're not. 
And the benefit for Ford is they've got brands like Mustang, the F-150 Lightning. They've got huge demand for these products. I mean, I don't know if you've ever Googled some of these electric vehicles in the Ford range. I'm a massive petrol head, so it hurts me slightly that these noises might be going away. But something like that new Mustang sort of electric SUV type thing, it's a really cool looking car. Like I can understand why that will do really well. But more importantly, what they've done is they've cleaned up their act with the international businesses. They've basically taken them to a point where they are profitable now, which is a big deal for Ford. In Europe, for example, they're now only focusing really on commercial vehicles. They've given up the fight on the rest, which is the right decision. So overall, they're focusing now, they're thinking about their balance sheet, they've got a good EV strategy. And then on top of all of this, the valuation is actually kind of reasonable. So obviously, there's lots of risks, there's supply chain. There's the chips, there's what's going on obviously with Ukraine, there's China, there's all these things. You can just list them and pretty much all of them will impact Ford in some way or another. But based on their most recent guidance for the year, this thing is on a Ford cash flow multiple of about 10. Now we look at lots of US companies. At the moment, there's been a huge asset price bubble. Everything's expensive. You know, Ford is not trading on a massively demanding valuation. Year to date, it's dropped 28%, which is a lot. I haven't sold at any point in that. I'm happy to hold Ford for the next five, six years. I think that's something that will come through. I think from speaking to us in a lot of what we discuss is, is generally speaking, we're buying stuff long-term. But yeah, Ford is something that I'm happy to own. Um, and the share price has actually dipped down now to the mid-15s. Mo, I don't know if you saw that. I think when we did our recap show, it was in the mid-17s. So it's giving a good entry point now. I don't know if it's as strong as Microsoft, but uh, I'm not too sad about Ford for my round one choice. So round one, Microsoft uh, versus Ford. You know, as you were speaking, uh, Finance Ghost, I was sort of thinking about, you know, our listeners might be listening to this discussion and thinking about Ford. Is there an opportunity within the electric vehicles market? What does this mean for oil? So what are your thoughts on that? If, if we're not going to put our money on Ford, is there maybe a component of an electric vehicle that we should be perhaps be thinking about? Look, I don't necessarily buy the story that everyone's going to be in an electric car by 2030. I just don't think it's practical. I mean, just think about the entire sort of third world, if I can use that term, emerging markets. South Africa is not ready for electric cars. We barely even have electricity half the time. So, you know, that's just a reality. As soon as you're driving long distances, imagine the strain it would put on ESCOM if everyone had an electric vehicle. I mean, it's a non-starter. So... I think long term, there's still going to be demand for oil and Mo will probably have some better views on that. But in from my side, in terms of investing in EVs, I think what you're looking for is companies that have coherent, solid EV strategies and strong brands behind it because cars are an emotional purchase. And this is a point I keep making to people is there are still lots of car enthusiasts out there. They still like the fact that they have a Mustang in the garage or a Mercedes Benz, you know, or whatever it's going to be. It's a consumer choice. It's actually a way of expressing yourself. And we have a long history of the automobile to tell us that people don't always want to drive exactly what the neighbor is driving. You know, they want something a little bit different. You can also invest in stuff like lithium ETFs. See, this this is where he comes in with his punches to steal my thunder, where I'm going to go at it from a macro. He knows I'm going to come in with a macro thing. He comes in and he takes the lithium ETF. I'm leaving oil for you, man. I'm not going to talk about oil. That's your that's your game. We need to let more block a little bit. <laughs> Mo, Mo, what, are, what are your thoughts in terms of that question, you know, the opportunities within electric vehicles, components? And, and I mean, what does this mean for oil? Yeah, so I think electric vehicles are... A massive opportunity. Uh, I have a slightly different perspective because up here in North America, there's a big push. So I think government historically has had incentives to try and incentivize people to, to buy electric vehicles. Uh, they're talking about it again. They've brought forward the deadlines in which they want, you know, every X percentage of vehicles sold 
to be an EV. Uh, and if I look at the lineups at local dealerships, you know, if, whether that's a Toyota, whether that is a, a Hyundai, uh, whether that's a Ford, you know, those are all bringing in hybrids or electric vehicles into the mix. So I think that, you know, up in the developed markets, the prospects for a large chunk of the market to move towards EVs is very large. Now, on that basis, uh, when, when I said Ghost was stealing my thunder with regards to lithium ETFs, right? I mean, you could go and look at the, the commodities, the resources story, and, and that would be lithium predominantly, uh, anything to do with, with battery tech. So a, a big player like a Glencore, for example, is something that's been in that space quite a bit, and I think they've seen a lot of action. Um, so that's the obvious play. The, the other non-obvious play would be a lot of these cars, as we kind of move towards EVs, not, not more than any kind of internal combustion engine car, but they are also heavy on microchips. We're moving into an internet of things world. And I think that's a, an interesting play here, not just for EVs, but beyond that. And it's a stock, again, that we had covered in Magic Markets Premium was Taiwan Semiconductor, because we think that semiconductors are the new oil. You know, they're choke points in terms of their supply globally. You need them in everything from your toaster to your motor vehicle. And I think that's a, an interesting play. And again, we can get into to some of the detail maybe a little bit later on through the show. But I think that's an interesting play, a non-obvious play. In terms of oil itself, you know, geez, who knows? You know, I think we're probably going to need oil for a long time. Uh, I don't think you just na naturally turn it off. If anything, current geopolitical developments have probably entrenched fossil fuels in the near term. You know, usage is going to ramp up. Supply remains tight. So, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't bet against oil right now, but I think in a controlled market where, for example, a cartel owns the supply into the market, uh, it's it's a pretty risky bet to think that oil is going to fall off a cliff. I think we, I'm not going to say never, but remember we saw oil go negative at the start of the pandemic. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily think we're going to be seeing that anytime soon, you know, certainly not in the next couple of years. What would you guys say are the big investment global themes and macroeconomic factors for 2022? You know, when we're talking about, you know, retail investors going into the U.S. market, what are some themes that they need to, to take into consideration? You know, we know that inflation supply chains have caused the inflation to be a lot more persistent. We know the geopolitical risks have caused the inflation to be a lot more persistent. So I think inflation as a theme is with us. It's currently underway. Uh, and bearing in mind that, you know, whether it's transitory from these levels or not is, is almost a moot point because, you know, choke points in certain commodities eventually resolve themselves. Not all. I say a lot of commodities. Think about it. Last year, this time, everyone was gushing over lumber. You know, lumber was the 10x trade. And then lumber fell off because you can quickly supply the market with lumber. You can't as quickly supply the market with things like copper. You know, it takes you a lot longer to build a mine, to do your geological studies, all of that kind of stuff. So, there are certain elements of inflation that will probably be a little bit more sticky, a little bit more persistent, and there's some elements that are going to come off. Now, what does this actually mean? It means that we're in a rising interest rate cycle here in Canada this week, in fact. We just had the central bank increase interest rates by 50 basis points. Uh, that's above the 25 normal basis point increments that people got used to. And I think that's the first time since around 2020. So it's going to be a higher rate environment. How high, you know, still questionable. I, I think that policymakers won't want to hike the economies into a recession, but keep an eye out for that. It's why earlier on with my Microsoft stock pick, I said, I want to move my portfolio a little bit more defensive. I think the growth plays are possibly going to come under a little bit of pressure. And then maybe one last one before I throw over to Ghost is, Given where geopolitics are going, there's this big emphasis on onshoring. And I think with regards to onshoring, you want to look at 
themes like anything that's a US CapEx play or an infrastructure play in the US, for example, because I think the US has probably been the one country that outsourced so much of its value chain to the East. And now they're realizing that that leaves them vulnerable from a national security perspective, from an economic perspective as well. In addition to the macroeconomic stuff, what are the kind of global themes you can think about? So, I mean, Mo's absolutely right, obviously, like inflation's huge and all of that. But in my own portfolio, and certainly when we analyze companies, we also think about just human behavior and how that's shifting. So you can just look at the world around you, right? I mean, remote working like Zoom, everyone assumed, okay, no one's ever going to go to an office or see another person again. And they took the share price up to $580 or whatever it was. It was just chaos. It's obviously impossible that that would be the world we live in. And it's now all the way back down. It's just over $100. But we recently did a show on Zoom and I still think it's a bit expensive, but hey, in the sort of, I think it was the 80s or so, Mo, it's actually kind of interesting. So I'm keeping an eye on Zoom to see if it drops down there because some of that behavior will stick working from home, remote working, enjoying a video call. I mean, Mo and I have run a business together for probably a year and a half now. We've not seen each other physically in probably eight years, nine years. I don't even know how long it is. So, you know, again, it just shows how powerful all of this tech stuff is. So themes like that, themes like competition in streaming. You know, I was always quite bearish on Netflix for exactly that reason. And that's that's worked out. I didn't own it and I'm glad I didn't buy it at the time because I would now be, you know, taking the same bath that Mo has taken. Sorry, Mo. Through that punch, I knew it was coming. I dodged it. had to. <laughs> Even in the unofficial rounds, you still have to find ways. Um, other themes like gaming and digital uh, and an active lifestyle, funnily enough. So both are possible. Why won't people spend money on going to the gym, but then also going home and enjoying some kind of digital experience? Both can happen. These things are not mutually exclusive and people are too quick to make these assumptions. Something's always good or it's always bad or it's always black or it's always white. That's why they all get excited about Tesla. It's always Tesla. No, it's not. Tesla's a good company, but there's others that are producing electric vehicles without a doubt there are. And one other theme that I would keep in mind is sort of US consumers versus European. I think, you know, the horrors we're seeing on TV in Europe uh, are really, really bad for that uh, economic region. I think the chances of it going into a recession, I mean, this is more Mo's world than mine, but from everything I've read, they look pretty good. It's really tough, that side, from an energy perspective and everything else going on. I would personally rather be exposed right now to American consumers who appear to have quite a lot of money as opposed to European consumers at this point in time. <laughs> Interesting ideas. You guys have touched on some some big things, you know, the likes of inflation, human behavior, you know, competition in terms of streaming and gaming and all of those things. So some fantastic insights. And I think that brings us to the end of round one. It was hectic. So a couple of punches. I, as the ref, nearly got hit myself, but it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take it on the gin. So we're going to get into round two in terms of our US stock picks uh, with the gents. And this time we're going to start off uh, with the finance ghost, right? So what is your stock? Uh, a brief on the company, the industry it operates in, and why did you choose this particular US stock? I was hoping to find out who won round one, so I know how much pressure I'm under going into round two. The listeners are the winners in this one. They're getting a little bit of this, <laughs> a little bit of that. They're the ones that are benefiting from all of this. We're doing the hard work. It's all it's all just entertainment <laughs> value, right? They just want to see my bloody nose. They want to see Ghost Carl come off his and see his face. You know, we know where the listeners are on this. <laughs> So I'll put my best foot forward here, assuming that they weren't so impressed with round one. So let's see if round two gets them more excited. So if, if Ford didn't entertain you, then maybe you'll like Hasbro, which is another company that we've covered in, in Magic Markets Premium. And uh, this is a storytelling business. Mo and I like storytelling businesses. I think uh, one of his coming later is also a storytelling business that he stole from me that I really like. 
Um, and Hasbro is all about board games, fantasy games, all about having fun. They own some seriously good brands like Peppa Pig, Power Rangers, Monopoly, Scrabble, Transformers. There's a long list. Um, and they have a really wonderful little business there called Wizards of the Coast. So if there's any like geeks, and I say that with a lot of love, listening to this, they'll know what I'm talking about. So games like Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, that all lives inside uh, Wizards of the Coast. And if you have zero interest in gaming, that's also fine. What you will have interest in is the fact that revenue grew 42% in that business in the last financial year, and it runs at an operating margin of 42.5%. So the economics of that business would embarrass a lot of software companies, never mind uh, a lot of other businesses. It's it's a really, really good business. Now, what's interesting with Hasbro, or at least what I think is interesting, is in the same way that Drive to Survive has really accelerated Formula One, that was actually a very unintended pun, but it works, uh, they've got something coming out on Netflix about Magic the Gathering, and maybe it flops, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it suddenly creates a whole lot of new players, people interested in the story, interested in the world around it, who knows? I've got no idea, but there's real optionality there in the share price, because Hasbro is not trading at a stupid multiple. It's a really good business trading on an EBITDA multiple of around 13 times, which in the US is not that much. It's going to sound a lot compared to South Africa, but US companies do trade at more expensive multiples. And that's kind of in line with historic levels. It pays a nice dividend. And the Wizards business, this little gem, is not really being fully appreciated by the markets, uh, in my view, certainly. I think they've got something there that's got lots of optionality in it. And for that reason, I actually bought Hasbro recently. Again, it's in my sort of five-year buckets i think people are going to continue having fun they're going to continue entertaining themselves at home they're going to continue engaging with digital storytelling businesses that produce content and associated you know toys i mean hasbro does a whole lot of toys that they will do on license from like disney for example it's a really cool business i mean if you believe people are going to have fun for the next 20 years and have children and do all the things we've always done then hasbro is in a good position Oh man, definitely makes sense. I'm a big gamer, so you you already caught me. I'll be very honest. I'm keen to hear from uh, Mo in terms of round two. What have you selected? Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm gonna say okay, fine. He threw the punch. He likes gaming. He likes storytellers. Why not whip out the best storytelling company on the planet, and that's Disney right boom so <laughs> we both like disney it's why i know ghost is really grumpy about this but but disney as well you know it's, it's one of those stocks that i just i love i've loved it as a kid uh, my daughter's a testament to that they own pretty much every disney princess that's out there and you know I, I don't again i don't have to tell you who disney is you know that's the power of the brand it's it's this business that's been around for so long but it touches on that whole storytelling theme that we that we covered you know i think it's a mega theme and you want to find companies that can monetize that. You want to find companies that know how to monetize that in a variety of ways. And, you know, when we covered, because we, we've covered both Hasbro and Disney in Magic Markets Premium. So when we covered that, I, I almost, in our podcast, I refer to Hasbro as Disney Light because it's a phenomenal business. So I think that's a great business from, from finance goes. But when you look at Disney, what you're getting in addition to that is you're getting a bit of a reopening of the economy's post-pandemic play. You've got the theme parks that are coming back on stream. You know, as a Disney Plus subscriber, I just got an email the other day saying, hey, as a Disney Plus subscriber, get 20% off your trip to Disneyland. Now, it's still prohibitively expensive, but guess what? A lot of people are going to take that up. Disney has just, or just commissioned cruise lines that are coming back on stream. So in a world that really wants to return to normal, in a US-centric theme, as Ghost mentioned, where US consumers have a lot more money, disposable income, they're going to want to spend that, Disney is a business that's really well positioned. Now, when you look at the business from an operating margin perspective, it's certainly not as high as my first 
first pick, which was Microsoft. But I must emphasize that this is a long-term play. And Disney's been beaten down because remember, the theme parks had been pretty much offline for a year and a half through the pandemic. So you're still waiting for normalized levels of ROEs to start coming through on a stock like that. It's something I do own in the portfolio. It's a core long. I've added to it recently. It's had a bad year. It's actually underperformed over the last 12 months. It's underperformed the likes of a Hasbro, you know, but if you look at it technically, and this is more for the traders that are listening to us as well, because there's investing and there's trading, there was the symmetrical wedge that Disney broke out of And that's kind of played out. So it's now in a $120 to $150 range. It looks exciting for me to maybe add a little bit more to that position. And if it falls, does that change my investment thesis or not? You know, do I do I I'm playing this from an investing perspective, not from a trading perspective. I think it's opportunistic for me to try and have a look at Disney right now because we know the IP is strong. We know it competes strongly in terms of generating new content if you look at all your blockbuster movies that are coming out they're all superhero movies that come and it's marvel and guess who owns that it's disney you know they're now also experimenting not experimenting they are introducing let me rather say that is a bit of an experiment um these themed experiences which for adults like you and i that still love our gaming that still love the world of fantasy you can go and book an entirely themed holiday where you play a character in the story so just think of that in a construct of a mega theme of gamification, of characters, of content. I think Disney is not just an engine that generates that. They've also mastered the art of how they distribute that, whether it's through toys, whether it's through movies, whether it's through streaming, whether it's through theme parks, you name it. Disney's my pick for round two. Well, I'm so glad you've come around to Disney. I had to convince you. We we uh, we had this debate on Magic Markets about Disney versus Netflix, and Mo is kind of still... I own both, you know, and, and at that time, at that time, yeah, I, I still own Netflix. Uh, Disney for me is, is the core long. Netflix was a nice opportunistic trade. Maybe didn't work out so bad, so well. Um, I still, I buy the content. I buy the media streaming as an industry. Netflix does not make money like Disney. It's not as powerful a business. Uh, does not detract from the fact that, you know, Disney is something that's been in the portfolio a long time. I think it's a fantastic opportunity even to look at at, at current prices. Give an idea of how tough the US market's been this year. So I just pulled up the chart now. So Disney this year is down 16%, which is kind of in line with the broader market sell down. I mean, that, that doesn't bother me. Again, you have to learn to ride these things. So this is an important point. If you're going to be investing long term, these sell downs are normal. If you panic and run away 16% down, you're never going to create wealth in the markets. you got to stick to why you bought something. Netflix, you know, if I owned that, maybe I'd be feeling a bit more. So that's why Mo has no hair. It's down 42% this year. So I'll tell you what, this year, Netflix, the clear winner. Go draw a five-year chart. It looks very different, obviously. Uh, there, Netflix has shot the lights out. So, yeah, timing is important in the markets when you want to play in single stocks. That's for sure. You know, what I really love about round two is, you know, firstly, you guys own these actual stocks, you know, so you're speaking from a place of conviction where you're like, I've actually put my money into it. The second thing is that there's this theme of storytelling, of fun, of creating memories, of friends, of family. And I, and I really love that because it goes back to the human behavior that the finance ghost had mentioned earlier on. So that brings us to the end of round two. Uh, we need to let each fighter go into their own corner to sort of catch their breath so that brings us to the end of part one of our conversation the ins and outs of usd investing a head-to-head with the amazing amazing mo and the finance ghost they hold things down on the magic markets 
podcast. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Desert podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.